You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to an episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, and today, we, as always, we are joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor, and yes, it has been a while. Um, the All-Star Game festivities, the All-Star break, I've kind of had some time to decompress from the football season. It has been a minute, but we are back with the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, and honestly, I don't think it could be a better time because throughout the season for the Cavaliers, we've talked about just how, you know, exciting they've been and just how great they've been and how things are going in the right direction and, you know, what a surprise story they've been. And all of a sudden, recently, it's been a little bit different. Um, obviously, the Cavaliers have lost four of their last five. Uh, the five All-Star of six now. Five of six now, and the All-Star break was in there. Um, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, uh, Jared Allen put on a show for the people, and that was great. And I think Cleveland was a great host, and maybe we can get into that a little bit. But Cleveland's lost five out of its last six. Darius Garland has been on the shelf. He just came back. Larry Markin was on the shelf for a little bit. He is now back, too. Karis LeVert is now on the shelf with an injury. Um, and things are kind of starting to get a little rocky, given that you know how smooth they were at the beginning. So, Chris, I want to start off this way. You wrote an article today just kind of, putting this all out there about maybe how the Cavaliers thought they arrived a little bit. How much of this is injury-based, and how much of this is the Cavaliers, you know, thinking they've arrived and maybe just kind of having a little bit too much confidence in not playing hard enough or not playing with enough, uh, you know, trust in one another or anything like that? Well, I think it's a lot of things, Hayden. Um, and I think there certainly is some merit to what you said and, and what Isaac Okoro said and what Darius Garland and Jared Allen and J.B. Bickerstaff said about handling prosperity. And this is a young team that came into the season, no expectations whatsoever. And when everybody tells you how great you are and you hear that over and over and over again, and you spend all star weekend hearing from Draymond Green and Chris Middleton and Eric Spolstra and all these other people about you being the surprise team in the NBA and you being a legitimate threat in the Eastern Conference, you're going to start to believe it. These are human beings, right? There's a human element involved in every sport that you play. And once you taste success, it can be hard to play with the mentality that you played with early on in the season, which was one of, hey, bleep everybody for overlooking us, right? Like, you thought nothing of us coming into the season, 
and we're going to show you different. We're going to prove you wrong. So I think there's certainly part of that. Um, it's it's a step, Hayden, that I think a lot of young teams have to go through. I mean, shoot, just look at the Atlanta Hawks at this point in time, right? Um, last year, they rose up the standings. Um, they turned around their rebuild a lot quicker than anybody anticipated. And they got to the conference finals. And then they come in this year. And they don't have the same mentality. They don't have the same chip on their shoulder. They don't play the same kind of way. They don't have the same motivation. They kind of got fat off their own success. And now they're fighting just to get into the play-in tournament. So I think there's an element of human nature here. There's no doubt about that. Um, I also think that the team is just mentally and physically drained. For, for them to be successful, they have to play so hard. They have to fight through screens. They have to give so much effort on 50-50 balls and box outs and closeouts and covering for guys on the defensive end of the floor. And it's very, very difficult in an 82-game regular season to play with that same level of intensity every single night. It wears you down mentally and physically. I also think they're mentally drained by the number of injuries that they've dealt with throughout the course of the season, and they continue to deal with. Like, there's an element of, when are we going to be right? When are we going to get an opportunity to show what we're actually capable of? Because right now, the sense that I get is that there's a feeling inside the organization of being robbed of an opportunity and a woe-is-me attitude about how many injuries they've had to overcome and how many injuries they're continuing to deal with. And on top of all of that, I think this is a young team that doesn't know what it doesn't know. So they're going through a lot of these different things for the first time. And the truth is, Hayden, in the NBA, the intensity picks up top to bottom in February, March, and April. It's a lot different than October, November, and December. So the Cavs are going into this playoff push for the first time ever, and they're starting to recognize that, you know, the second half of the season is a little bit different than the first half of the season. And when you start having success and people start targeting you and you become the hunted as opposed to the hunter, um, you have to reach a different level of competitiveness to win games that you probably would have won in October and November. I think that's all pointing to, I think they're all great points. You're right. I think that everything that you said is, is very true. And I think it's just kind of all coming to a head at this point of the season. And I think that when you look at this Cavaliers, you know, the schedule and whatnot, if there was a time for them to be a little mentally drained, a little physically drained, I mean, coming out of the all-star break is usually when teams are pretty healthy and teams are kind of like, all right, you know, we got our breather. I think for the Cavaliers, this actually kind of is the point where they're trying to catch their breath because, you know, they had a, they had two all-stars. They had a lot of, it, of things going on, the all-star festivities. I'm sure that wasn't a time for them to rest. Um and, you know, they had injuries with Karis LeVert, Darius Garland. Can you explain it? Because I think you wrote it in one of your um, in one of your pieces recently for Cleveland.com. And you can check out Chris's work, Cleveland.com slash Cavs. 
I think that you mentioned uh, that Darius Garland's injury is something that's going to linger, but it was never an issue that they wanted to address during the All-Star break. So, I mean, what? how did that go down? Because I, I, I've been getting questions from, from people. So, <laughs> I, why is Darius Garland – I know, yeah. It's, why, why is Darius Garland playing? He's, you know, he's a wimp. He's not playing in the regular season, but he's yeah. playing in the All-Star game. How does that make any sense? All right, so this one has a lot of layers to it, too. I feel like a lot of things when it comes to the Cavs, any kind of conversation – surrounding them is pretty complex at this point because there are a lot of things to dig into with this group. But let's start here. Darius Garland played the final two games of the first half of the season, and he looked spectacular. (laughs) Right. Right? I mean, he played three of the final four games of the, the first half of the season, and he looked spectacular. He gave it to DeJounte Murray, another all-star. He went toe-to-toe with Trey Young, even though the Cavs lost that game on the road in Atlanta. So he felt fine going into all-star weekend. His back was good enough that he was able to put 30-8 and on Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks in Atlanta. So why would he sit out the all-star weekend festivities if he felt fine and he showed himself to be fine, I watched him play those final two games of the first half of the season. And I said, okay, yeah, there are moments where maybe he isn't moving as fluidly as, as he did early on in the season before January 9th, but it's not affecting his game. It's not affecting his style. It's not affecting his shooting. It's not affecting his ball handling. It's not affecting his ability to be successful playing through what he's playing through. So healthy guys don't sit out all-star weekend. (laughs) Right. And he looked pretty healthy going into all-star weekend. Uh, So we can start there. The other thing is, because this happened in January 9th um, against the Warriors and Darius had been battling through it, it is a finicky back injury. And sometimes it's going to feel good and sometimes it's going to feel bad. Um, General Manager Mike Ganzi has labeled it a bone bruise. The Cavs always put him on the injury report with lower back soreness, whatever you want to call it. It's a finicky injury, and it's one where he can wake up a morning and not feel great. And then he can wake up the next morning and feel great. That's just the nature of this injury. There is no specific timeline. The, The treatment is a little bit tricky. And so he goes into All-Star Weekend, and he feels fine, um, and he performs All-Star Weekend and feels fine. And then the Cavs return from the All-Star break, and they have a practice on Tuesday, the Tuesday after the All-Star break. And Darius goes through some bumping. Darius takes some contact. Um, He ramps up his physical exertion in a different kind of way than All-Star Weekend, where He didn't have to fight through screens, right? He didn't have to finish through contact. Um, It was basically playing horse when you're talking about the skills challenge. So he was doing things from a physical standpoint that Tuesday following the break that he didn't do during All-Star Weekend. And the next day after that practice, he was sore. He didn't feel right. And I think that's what happens with this particular injury. Um, And the last thing here, Hayden, is the Cavs knew all along that in the second half of the season, 
if Darius's back issue was going to linger, if the soreness was going to pop back up, that they were going to have to um, implement some kind of maintenance plan. And maybe that meant uh, taking off a shoot around here or there. Maybe that meant taking off a practice here or there. And maybe that meant sitting out games that the Cavs looked at on the schedule and said, that's one based on, I guess, opponent, based on um, three games in four nights or first game of a back-to-back or whatever the case may be. They mapped it out. They looked at it and said, we probably have to implement some kind of maintenance plan that was going to involve him missing some games in the second half of the season just because, you know, this kind of injury requires some kind of maintenance. You just don't know when that maintenance is going to be required because, again, it's a finicky injury that can pop up um, and there's no rhyme or reason for when it does pop up. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's a very, very good explanation. And I think it's, you know, I think that the Twitter doctors out there, the people that, you know, that, that get upset, it, I, you never know fully what's going into a, um, you know, into a person's injury and, and the recovery process. So, I mean, I, I knew there had to be a reason. I just wanted to make sure that, you know, that the, that the listeners heard exactly what was going on. So, And I, I think the other thing, Hayden, is this. Darius Garland worked his entire life to become an all-star. Yeah, and of course, of course, and he was in Cleveland, like duh. Yes, I don't blame him at all. <laughs> he he never had a single thought about missing the All Star game or not participating in the weekend, and the Cavs as an organization never had a single thought of that either. Because again, it's not like it was KD, where KD, you know, has a significant MC. L sprain and it was going to take him and everybody knew the specific timeline of it that was going to take him out through the all-star break and he had already missed a whole bunch of games before that and all that kind of stuff like this again is a back injury that can flare up at any moment without any kind of notice right it's a little bit different being like a soft to soft tissue with the leg or something than in a back so i right like I if can... he had a sprained ankle there is a finite timeline attached to that, right? If he had an MCL sprain, there's a finite timeline attached to that. If he had a sprained foot like Karis Levert, there's a finite timeline. When it's a back injury, have you had a back injury? Because I have. I've been dealing with back problems for a long, long time. It truly is a day-to-day thing. It sucks, but it is just the reality of the, the the kind of injury that you have. I mean, I, I injured my back a couple of years ago, bouncing on a trampoline, trying to throw it back to my glory days of athleticism. So I bounce on a trampoline, and then I'm taken out for six months, and then I have to go to physical therapy for six months. That sounds miserable. I mean, I have tweaked my back before, and it definitely is not fun. So, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. I mean, back problems are not something that you know that, that go away very easily and they kind of linger and, and flare up at the right time, wrong time you're right you're absolutely right so i again there is nothing there is nothing for me on darius garland i think it was just kind of unfortunate timing that you know that the back flared up when the Cavs were starting to ramp it up again but again the darius garland wasn't the only one um you know you have karis lavert out just after the all-star break and yeah uh, you know that was a piece you brought in that, that you needed scoring from and um, he was bringing that. He was giving you that. And then you don't have Darius. Then you don't have Karis. And then, you know, Larry Markkinen's struggling coming back. I think it was, it's just been kind of a perfect storm of, you know, injuries and bad timing for the Cavaliers at this point. 
And I asked Darius last night in the postgame press conference, I said, hey, look, man, we're hearing certain things about your back. Is this an injury that's going to last the whole season? Is this something that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of the year? And his response was, we'll see. I don't know. Um, I, I think part of that was him being untruthful. And I think the other part of that, again, goes back to just the complicated nature of this particular injury. Right, right. It certainly is difficult. But uh, he was back on the floor last night. Uh, this he looked podcast. great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just Hitting a matter of buzzer beater, getting to the paint, flipping in those those runners like he usually does, flicking three-pointers like layups. I mean, he looked like his old self. I think the bottom line, too, Chris, is that this team will go with, without Darius Garland. I mean, I, I don't know what this team can do. I mean, I think that obviously he's an all-star. He's a you know huge part of their offense. They're already missing Colin Sexton. If you don't have Karis LeVert in there, that's even a bigger blow. So to have for, to, to be missing Darius and Karis, that's a big portion of your offense, along with Colin Sexton. And I just I don't see this team being successful without them. I don't care how good they are defensively. I mean, you got to be able to score in the NBA and. You know, to have three of your main contributors on offense and one of them who's not going to come back this year at all, um, it's it's difficult. It, 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 I just don't see them being competitive without those guys. And it just so happens that, you know, without those guys playing or without, with those two guys being hurt, hurt right now, it's just I think you're seeing what they are, what the Cavaliers can be without them, which is not, you know, necessarily what they've been all year long. And the other thing is that their defense has slipped. So the defense that, that used to cover up for the fact that the offense was inconsistent early in the season and the defense that kept them in games, um, it's not keeping them in games. They're giving up 38-point quarters, right? They're giving up 127 points to the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're giving up 124 to the Atlanta Hawks. They're giving up 119 to the Charlotte Hornets. So the defense that we saw at the beginning of the season, it's interesting, Hayden, because the defense technically, in terms of, efficiency is is number four in the NBA but they haven't played like the number four defense in the NBA over the last three four weeks um right you know three of their five worst defensive performances have come over the last three weeks Atlanta Minnesota and Charlotte um so the offense throughout the course of the season I think it's always been inconsistent right like they're they're 20th in three-pointers made per game. Um, I think they're like 26th in total scoring in terms of offensive rating. They might be middle of the pack or something. So the, the offense, with, with all the injuries that they've dealt with, and the offense has gotten worse with Sexton going down and Rubio going down and Darius being in and out of the lineup. But the offense... Was, was even inconsistent at the beginning of the season when the Cavs were winning games. They were just leaning on their defense. Now it's hard for them to consistently lean on that defense because that defense is springing a bunch of leaks lately. So, well, and I think the reason the defense is springing leaks, as you said, is, you know, the, the kind of the mental exhaustion. I mean, the physical exhaustion that they've put themselves through this season. I mean, defense, we, we've talked a lot about it. Yes, a lot of, you know, there's there's scheme things that can help with the defense and there's size things that can help with the defense. But a lot of defense in the NBA is uh, is effort. And uh, the Cavaliers give a lot of effort on a night-in, night-out basis because of their youth 
But I think that, you know, that could definitely be part of it. And and now the teams are kind of seeing what they do. They can see how they, um, you know, they're over over halfway through the season. Now they can yep. kind of attack certain um, areas. Tendencies, that they yep. and, yeah. So I think it all kind of makes sense. And I think that the, I thought that all along, I don't, maybe that, maybe I was not naive to the situation because I thought they were going to have a time where they were going to struggle, be it. Yeah. I, I think the injuries have kind of exacerbated that, but I mean, you know, you're not going to go through a season. And we saw with even within the LeBron years, I mean, very rarely do you have a team that goes, you know, 73 or like the Warriors, 73 and nine or the teams with Mo Williams went 60 and 22 or 70, whatever. I mean, it's just yeah. those those teams don't exist anymore. So I, I think this is very, very fair and very, you know, expected for the Cavaliers to hit a little like this at some point. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. And to your broader point, if, if they don't have a healthy Darius Garland, or if he misses any time, if they get to the postseason, or if they get to the play in, whatever the result of, of this season ends up being, um, there there is no chance, in my opinion, that they fall out of the top 10. So it's either playoffs one through six or play in seven through 10. That's how I view it. Um, but, but if they don't have Darius or he's not right, they don't have a shot. Because right. the truth is, you know, offensively with Darius on the court, um, their offense equates to the second best unit in the NBA. So they play offense like the Atlanta Hawks. With him right. off the court, statistically, they would be ranked 27th in the league and they would play offense like the Houston Rockets. Like That is a significant gap. And I remember at the time, if you remember, I voted for Fred Van Vliet to be my second guard um, for the all-star starters. I was getting a lot of crap from people inside the Cavs organization that said, I didn't know what I was talking about and that I needed to pay attention to how the Cavs played with and without Darius. And Darius was, you know, the engine of the offense. He was the guy that made them go and they couldn't function without him. And now I'm starting to see what they were talking about there. I don't regret my choice. I believe that I made the right choice and I gave it to the most worthy guy in Van Vliet. But their point was that they're a completely different team with and without Darius. And people need to recognize that. And we have seen during this absence of Darius um, that they have been a completely different team, especially on the offensive end of the floor. And they will continue to be. They will continue to be. I'm sure the same guys in the organization that were saying all that are probably not happy to see not to see the, to see their themselves be right in that Darius, you know, struggling or the team struggling without Darius because yeah. they don't want to struggle. Period. So, um, uh, yeah, you can 100% see it. I don't think anybody's happy about it, but yeah, Darius is the the head of the snake. There's no doubt. Um, and when he's not out there, it just makes things more difficult. If maybe if Ricky Rubio was there, it would be easier. Um, you know, not that Rajon Rondo has done a, a bad job, I would say, but it's 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 kind of night and day between um, Darius Garland and Ricky Rubio and, and Rajon Rondo. So yeah, I mean, uh, Rondo was a guy who was not getting playoff uh, playing time for the struggling Los Angeles Lakers, right? Darius Garland is a first-time All-Star and one of the best point guards in the entire NBA. The way that he's playing, right? I mean, there are right. levels to good in the NBA. <laughs> right. Oh, there certainly are. Certainly are. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break here on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. When we get back, we want to talk about a little bit of something kind of broader term or a broader scope, I should say, uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Talk soon. Welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined by Chris Fedor, our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com. And uh, before we started recording, Chris mentioned he wanted to talk about something pretty broad in regards to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I, I, I think it's a great idea because the Cavaliers currently four and a half, four and a half games out of the, of the one seed in the Eastern Conference, uh, even despite losing five out of six, um, had, have had some injuries. But we're coming to the point of the season where we're almost a month away from postseason time. I mean, mid-April, you know, the end of the regular season, almost time for the postseason. So, at this point, as currently constructed with everything that has happened with this season, the emergence of Darius Garland, the Cavaliers 36-26, and are the Cavaliers, is this a successful season regardless of what happens? Now, I don't believe the Cavaliers are going to lose every game the rest of the way. Uh, I certainly don't see that happening. I think they'll win six games the rest of the season. But say they did. Say they lost every game the rest of the way and or, you know, whatever the case may be. Can we call this Cavaliers season a successful one? Um, Chris, I will ask you first because you are the one that brought it up, and I think it's a great topic of conversation. <laughs> I will I will ask you first. I mean, what, what makes this season, if it is a successful season, I guess you don't have to answer it right away, but – if, if it is already a successful season, what made it so, even if things don't go well down the rest of the way? So I think, I think you could look at different elements of the season, Hayden, and you could say this part of it was a success. But I don't know that you could look at the season as a whole um, and say that it was a success. Because I think the season as a whole, the expectations have changed as it's gone on and as the status quo has changed. So if we would have been having this conversation in October or November, then the answer would have been different. But but things changed along the way, including the Cavs giving up some draft capital for Karis LeVert and being in go-for-it mode including the Cavs' internal expectations and the conversations that they were having changing. If you remember, Rajon Rondo was talking about um, this team being a championship contender, right? You had Darius Garland talking about Karis LeVert being the quote-unquote missing piece to a deep playoff run. And I asked Jared Allen this question the other day, and he said something along the lines of, you know, as the season has gone on, our own expectations have gone from just get to the playoffs somehow, some way. It's gone from that to like, how deep can we go once we get into the playoffs? So I think it's fair to hold them to those standards since they're holding themselves to those standards. And I think it's fair to say that if they don't get a playoff series, an actual playoff series with that kind of experience, see it, feel it, get to know what it's all about, then it would be hard for me to say this season is successful. And that doesn't mean that there aren't individual components that would be successful. Darius Garland was a first-time All-Star, and he looks like 
a franchise cornerstone. Evan Mobley is probably the rookie of the year and looks like the one that has the ability to change the trajectory of this franchise. They have three guys that they know they're going to build this thing around. So when they have conversations about what pieces to add in the offseason or what pieces to trade for, it's all going to be under the umbrella of how do they fit alongside Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. Like, that's a big step for this organization. Um, But this is a team that just a month ago was the number two seed in the Eastern Conference. Right, certainly. And and they, as currently at the current point of the season, um, like I said, four and a half games behind the number one seed, uh, currently the five seed. So, I mean, I I foresee, yes, there's a tough stretch coming up. you know, in terms of playing some good, some good teams, you're in Philadelphia right now. Cavs getting ready to play the Sixers with James Harden, Joel Embiid. Um, I, I would say that I, I, I kind of agree with you that yeah, I think that it that things did change, and that if before the season the Cavaliers ended up at 39 and 43 or whatever, then you'd say, man, that's a good year. You know, that's a that's a hell of a successful season. You got Darius Garland, your cornerstone now. Like, you know, you already know. So um, from there, I mean. At this point, I think, yes, I think if they didn't make the postseason or if they were even a play in, you know, a 10 seed, then, yeah, I think you would be considered, man, I mean, what happened? How did they collapse so fully and so fast? Right. And that's the thing, because as the season was going on and they rose up the Eastern Conference standings, like they were getting closer and closer to what they need most, which I think is a taste of the playoffs, playoff experience. Hayden, there is a real chance here. Um, again, I don't know what's going to happen in March. The The Cavs are, are going through a lot right now, and there are lessons that they have to learn along the way. But they're only a game and a half in front of the Toronto Raptors, who are currently seventh in the Eastern Conference. So to think about all the good things that happened for the Cavs in the first half of the season, to think about all the exciting things surrounding the organization and not just the future of the organization, but the present of the organization. If they were to fall to the seven spot, because Boston is red hot six nipping at the Cavs heels and there are two games left with Toronto. Um, if they were to fall to seven and they lose both playing games, and they don't get to a postseason series, then this organization, um, in what has been a magical season, wouldn't get the thing that they need the most for their development and their growth. And I think there's a recognition of that internally, even if some aren't willing to admit it. Yeah, I certainly I would say that absolutely. I mean, at this point, I think you said I think you kind of said that with the Karis LeVert move. I mean, yes, Karis LeVert's mm-hmm. under contract for another year, but I mean, to have him to bring him in and to give up draft capital, I think right. you're saying like, all right, yeah, we got to go. You know, we're gonna we're gonna really compete here. Um, so I mean, yes, Karis is hurt, and that's probably ailing the Cavaliers right now. But um, I think that was the kind of move signaling, all right, you know, this season we got to make the playoffs, we got to make a push. Uh, yeah. If it was about making the playoffs, I don't know if they make that move. You know, just or just making the playoffs, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if it it was 
just making the play in, there probably would have been hesitation on that sort of thing. I think playoffs and play in are two different conversations. Right. Yeah, I mean, play in obviously a little bit different, but you're right. You're right. So hopefully Karis LeVert comes back, you know, relatively soon. A- any updates on him as of he today? is? Yeah, he is out tomorrow against Philadelphia. Rondo is doubtful tomorrow against Philly. Um, it seems like based on that and based on what we've seen on the practice floor behind the scenes and after shoot around that Rondo is probably a little bit ahead of schedule um, and, and probably ahead of Levert. Yeah, I mean, that's that definitely a good thing, given that, you know, Darius Garland remains questionable. And yes, Brandon Goodwin has been helpful, but it's just it's a completely different team, as we've mentioned. Um, the one thing, too, that I, that I think that we're maybe not overlooking here, and it's something that I've, you know, kind of wanted to talk about. Larry Markkinen was out, yes, and, and you got to give him time. But I think the Cavaliers desperately need more from him. I mean, if they're going to do anything, I, I just when you when you watch them play, I think Jetty has given them a great year coming off the bench. I think Kevin Love is obviously bought in. He's going to be you know in in and out. But I don't even think I don't think right now Laurie's even the guy that he was in Chicago for the most part. I mean, any any indication that maybe this thing could turn around for him? Any indication that? The injury, you know, kind of is is part of the issue here. So I don't know enough about Lowry, to be honest with you. And and I'm still learning about him. And I think the Cavs are still learning about him. But I want to go back to a conversation that we had on this podcast shortly after they acquired him. And it was a question that I raised with people inside the Cavs organization and with the Bulls and that are around the NBA and and know Lowry a little bit better than I do. Um, The question that I asked at the time that the Cavs acquired Lowry was last season a sign of things to come with his three-point shooting because he shot 40% with the Bulls last year. So was that a sign that he had figured something out? Was that a sign that that's the kind of shooter that he was going to be as his career progressed? Or was that the outlier season? And he's really about a 36% three-point shooter, which is what he was before last year. And so far, again, this is just so far, it seems like last year was the outlier. And he's probably more about a 36% three-point shooter. Now that's fine, the Cavs need that shooting. They need that spacing. They need somebody who's willing to take the threes five to six a game. That that makes him a threat to an opposing defense. But just think about like how much more formidable this offense would be and, and how much of a difference maker Lowry would be if he was that 40% shooter that we saw last year with Chicago, as opposed to the 36% shooter that he showed himself to be in the first three years of his NBA career and has shown himself to be here with the Caps. Like, that would relieve so much pressure off of Darius Garland, right? That would give the Cavs a different kind of explosiveness on the offensive end. And there are going to be nights, Hayden, where Lowry makes six threes or five threes, and you feel really, really good about it. But the consistency from deep just hasn't been there from him. And I'm starting to wonder if that's just kind of who he is. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in a season of so many positives, I think that would be, you know, a little bit disappointing, um, but maybe not overly disappointing given that, you know, the other steps that have been taken and the other things that have happened. I mean, not everything in an NBA season is going to work out perfectly, as the Cavaliers have shown in regards to uh, the, their injury situation and whatnot. So, you know, I, I don't think it's time to, to write the book and finish the chapter on Lowry yet, but um, I know they would certainly like to get a little more out of him um, going forward. Yeah, and I mean, I think he's got to get better defensively, too. His yeah. size and his athleticism, they help on the defensive end of the floor. And he can contest shots that some of these six foot seven or six foot six small forwards don't. And it gives the Cavs a unique look and they can exploit mismatches with Lowry in the post. And we've seen that as well. Um, and, and maybe part of his mobility is still being affected on the defensive end by this this high ankle injury that um, he still hasn't regained his rhythm. He still hasn't regained full mobility. Um, he was out a month. That was a long time to miss games. So he's probably still working his way back. And maybe um, this is a product of that too. But, you know, I think you're starting to see teams, as as we get closer to the playoffs and teams understand the Cavs' strengths and weaknesses, and they're going to start game-planning against the Cavs. I think you're going to start to see some teams try and attack Lowry on the defensive end, and you've already started to see them hunt Kevin on the defensive end of the floor. And I, yes. think, I think that's going to continue into either the postseason or the play-in, and the Cavs are just going to have to find a way um, to combat that. And, and I honestly, I don't know what the answer is to that. Right. I guess we'll have to see. But they do have a schedule coming up a little bit tougher, as we mentioned. Philadelphia, Toronto, Indianapolis, Miami, Chicago, Clippers, Sixers, Denver, Detroit, Los Angeles. So um, that's through the 21st. LeBron comes back to town on March 21st. Um, but it'll be a tough test. I mean, those two games back to back. Uh, Friday and Saturday against Miami and Chicago at Miami at Chicago. I mean, that's not going to be anything um, easy. Indiana, Indiana always gives them a fight, and they'll be home on Sunday on ESPN national television against uh, the Toronto Raptors 730. So, I mean, look, uh, man, they got 20 games left, and 15 are against the top 10 in either conference. Right, right. And we, we, I mean, there was a point where we thought the schedule was getting easier, and maybe, you know, maybe it's just not as easy as we thought. You know, I mean, I mean, some of these teams have kind of taken the right steps, and um, well, you can never fully tell. And there's another element here. When the Cavs are playing against a team that has a worse record than them at home, they've got to win those games. They've got to capitalize on those opportunities. Losing twice to Detroit in 26 days, that. right? Losing to the Charlotte Hornets, who are 3-11 and since January uh, 28th. Bad. Losing to the Minnesota Timberwolves when you're up 14 in the first quarter at bad. home. Again, bad. Like, if if there are going to be breaks in the schedule, and there are going to be some for the Cavs um, as they finish this thing off, they've got to capitalize on them, and they haven't done a good enough job of that. Not 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 in the last month. Let's put it that way. No, no. Well, like I said, the hope is that they you know can get healthy and and find a way to uh, come together over these last couple uh, 
these last couple of weeks of the regular season, and we will talk plenty more. I think we're going to try to, you know, ramp up the podcast as we get into the playoff mm-hmm. push, as we get further and further away from football, and um, no baseball to, to talk about. So um, certainly we'll be focused on Cavs Town in Cleveland. Chris, we appreciate your time. I got to go record uh, sports for CLE right now, but appreciate you as always. Be sure to find Chris's work at cleveland.com slash Cavs. And also sign up for Chris's subtext. Go to cleveland.com slash cat, excuse me, cleveland.com slash calves. Click the top of the page, the blue banner, and enter your phone number. You get 14 days free. And then after that, $3.99 a month for all of Chris's insight analysis, all of the things that you will get first before it goes to Twitter or anywhere else. So insight analysis news from uh, Independence and Beyond from Chris Fedor, cleveland.com slash calves. Click the blue, blue banner at the top of the page. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. Safe travels as you go to Miami and Chicago and whatnot as well. Um, But you will be home on Sunday, which is good. So appreciate everybody. Uh, Thank you so much. We will talk soon. Have a good one.